In Daniel chapter two, verses 44 through 45, it says, in the time of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold pieces. Today, we start throwing rocks. This is day four. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome to day four of the Journey Through Daniel podcast. I'm here once again with Brendan Lang hey, hey. and Kelly Kang, Hi. our two authors for our journey books, the commentary. Question for you, both, have you ever broken a bone? Never. Never? Nope. Me neither. Perfect mm-hmm. records all around. So I drank a lot of milk growing up. And I like that, my theory is that <laughs> Keep going. I just like have so much calcium and like my bones are, I don't know. So you think it was nurture. Super strong. Not nature. It's not like. It's a little bit of both. I don't believe we should take those two apart. I think there is a little bit of both. Sure. I mean, I'm on board. <laughs> my mom does this 23 and me things. My mm-hmm. parents both did that. Hi, mom. And they, I guess, give you like your bone density and yeah. that and likelihood to break. Yeah. Like you may by nature have more likelihood to break your bones. But if you don't ride your bikes recklessly and jump off of buildings and stuff like, you know. I mean, yeah. Jumping off buildings would do it. <laughs> for well, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, not, not like tall if, buildings, but like, yeah. You know, I guess, well, there's, there's only ways. one way to find out. We could all be <laughs> supermen just super cautiously navigating the world that's true that's true wait have you ever broken a bone tyler just toes just toes really yeah i broke my toe the other day it hurts Mm. is it still broken i mean when you say the other day it doesn't hurt as much but i'm sure it's still broken i've broken it like four times in my life that's the only thing i've broken same toe yep same one oh yeah it's not great Very reckless. Apparently, yeah. I haven't been nurturing this toe very much. Right. He just keeps <laughs> jumping off those the, buildings. Yeah. Invest in better boots. No, the problem is I just keep hitting it on rocks. On rocks? Yeah, I keep stubbing Wait, my like toe. you wearing sandals? Yeah, or barefoot. And you imagine like how much that hurts, just like a tiny rock. Mm-hmm. We're talking about some big rocks today. Like big, the rock big cut rock. out of a mountain? Mm-hmm. Like an entire mountain. Hands. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rock that's cut that becomes a mountain. I've got to imagine that's going to really hurt if you stub your toe mm-hmm. on that one. Oh, crush. Crush. Okay. Well, I'm just, that's what it says. You mean just generally speaking, you're not talking about my toe. Well, actually, what's interesting is it talks about toes too, which are crushed by this rock. Is that why you're talking about, is that? I didn't know we were going to be talking about toes. Well, we don't have to talk about toes in conversation. But it seems like you want to talk about toes. We'll talk about whatever. All right. Well, why don't you get us started and we'll go with the commentary. Day four, the kingdoms of this world versus the kingdom of God. Yesterday, we read about Nebuchadnezzar's search for someone who could tell him his dream and its meaning. Today, we finally learn about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its meaning. Daniel reveals that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a colossal statue that was composed of four different metals, a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron. This sequence of metals, which declines in value from top to bottom, corresponds to an ancient way of organizing history. Some ancient historians, like the Greek poet Hesiod, thought of human history as devolving from an original golden race into generations of silver, bronze, and iron. The idea behind the sequence was that things became worse and worse over time. Daniel reveals in his interpretation of the dream that the metals of the statue also relate to the progression of history. The four metals represent four successive kingdoms. We are told that the first metal, the head of gold, represented Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Unfortunately, we are not told what kingdoms the other metals represent. This omission has led to much debate. 
Some interpret the Four Kingdoms as a sequence that culminates with the Greek Empire. Others interpret it as a sequence that ends with the Roman Empire. Still others think that the entire sequence is symbolic. In Nebuchadnezzar's culture, the number four symbolized the whole universe. So perhaps the four metals symbolize all the kings and kingdoms of this world. Though this is an interesting debate, we shouldn't get sidetracked by it because that would distract us from the most important part of the dream. One day a stone of divine origins would crush this statue of empires built by human hands and grow into a kingdom unlike any the world has seen. For Nebuchadnezzar and merciless leaders like him, this dream served as a prophetic critique. It revealed that the empires of man inevitably fall. God will not allow them to last, so we should resist aligning ourselves too closely with them. However, for those who are oppressed, this dream carries a hopeful promise. God is brought and is still bringing an unparalleled kingdom where justice is the rule and God reigns as king. For day four, we're reading Daniel chapter two, verses 31 through 49. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Hey Kelly, do you want to read our discussion questions for today? Question one. Put yourself in the shoes of Jews like Daniel, who lived under the oppressive authority of the Babylonians, Medes, Persians, Greeks, and Romans. Why would the message of this dream give you hope?
Question two, what man-made empires do you suppose God would confront in our world today? Why? Brendan, what in the world? What do you mean, what in the world? Daniel calls King Nebuchadnezzar quite a few things. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. That's the most surprising thing to you in this passage? I mean, it definitely Of all the out. things you could talk about. I mean, there's a good amount of things I could talk about, yeah. but I was like, this is all the things that we have Christmas songs written about Jesus oh, for. Oh, okay. I see you know, why, king why is he the king of kings? Like, king like, of what, what is this? Lord. You remember that song? <laughs> I don't, but Lord, no, keep Lord. going. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly keep what going. you're saying. Yep, go for it. Jesus, king of kings, glory, hallelujah. We historically, or at least I thought that we didn't call people these things. You could call anyone the king of kings as long as technically they are the king of kings. And that's what he was at that time. Okay, right? what so does that mean? It's a word-for-word translation of a Hebrew phrase, king of kings. And the idea behind it is he's the foremost of kings. He's the most superior of kings. That's the idea behind the phrase. And the truth is, at that time, what was Nebuchadnezzar? He was the most powerful emperor in the world. I call him emperor because he was leading a kingdom that was over kingdoms. You had kings in Judah that he ruled over. You had kings in all these different regions throughout the Near East that he ruled over. And so he was the king over these kings. Later on in this passage, God is actually called the God of gods. That raises a whole new conversation. But the idea there is that he's above all beings that people would want to worship. I was just like kind of trolling you because I just want to know what you thought about that. There you go. Well, I know you knew that. There's that. this like, there's this like reign of kings that happened back in the day. It was basically like whoever was the top king at the time, King Xerxes yeah. was technically a king of kings. Yeah. And you have a whole long list. You of, can actually... What, but it was just an alarming to see Daniel call him that, I guess. I knew of well, the Daniel, term king of kings, but like... I mean, Daniel's just passing along what he's received from God too. So God, in a sense, calls him that, right? Nebuchadnezzar has the dream. Daniel prays to God for an explanation of the dream. He gets an explanation of this vision and he understands he learns that nebuchadnezzar represents this golden part of the statue and he's the king of kings and he's given authority dominion sovereignty he's given authority over the beasts of the land we're going to talk about that in future days and readings but in a lot of ways this sounds like what god created humans to be originally when he said i want you to bear my image you're going to be my authorities my representatives on the earth and you're going to have the sky yeah exactly you're going to have power and authority over those well, it definitely seems like Daniel's life is about to change. Well, it does by the end, doesn't it? It seems like he's got the knowledge that he needs, mm-hmm. you know, from God to make some things happen. I mean, he calls Nebuchadnezzar all these things. And then by the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar is falling on his face in front of Daniel. Yeah, it's really interesting. And not only that, he's actually worshiping him, which has always raised, I think, conversation for people. He falls prostrate before him, offers him gifts, and then he raises him up to a position of authority, not just him, but also his buddies. We've talked about this, but it's a theme we're going to see throughout the book of Daniel that God takes those who are faithful and loyal to him and he gives them positions of authority and kingdoms. Well, like, it's kind of nice for Daniel to, like, remember his buds, too. Exactly. You know, he came from humble beginnings. Yeah, you, remember the little people. That's right. I got you guys. With it. Did you have any people from Iowa that you... That I brought along with yeah, me and yeah, I yeah. remember? No, I have not. Just curious. That's an aside. Brendan's from Iowa. We haven't stated that yet. Yeah. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. B-Town. So what is going on here with this dream? It does seem like it's very descriptive and very specific. Is this a common dream? How did Daniel know that this is what Nebuchadnezzar actually was dreaming? And what would this mean for Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know if this was a common dream. I mean, it was common for people to have dreams. And the cool thing is we can go back and read some of these dream books. You can just Google it and see what Babylonians dream. I mean, they're different than ours because their experience of the world was different than ours. But, you know, the interpretations are just kind of interesting. And we're going to actually get a talk 
talk about those maybe in different podcasts later on. It was but, common though for kings to be like portrayed as a statue or like yeah. that imagery mm-hmm. was common, right? But yeah. the whole like piece by piece, obviously like Daniel yeah. knew from God. It's interesting that it's a statue that has multiple metals and mm-hmm. statues sometimes were made of multiple metals, but it was a long drawn out dream. And obviously Daniel didn't just know this. It wasn't like his own wisdom. It was given to him by God. And so it was a dream by God for Nebuchadnezzar and it was revealed by Daniel. And what it talks about is the kingdoms of this world, this idea that Nebuchadnezzar ruled one kingdom, but there would be many other kingdoms, many other Babylons in this world that would use their power to oppress people, just like Nebuchadnezzar and his folks did at times. And the message of the dream is that one day God would bring in a new type of kingdom, a new type of empire that would rule the world differently. Life would be different in this kingdom. There would be a fundamentally different type of king. And this would be not just a normal human kingdom. This would be a kingdom that that comes about by God's will. That's the idea behind this rock. This rock that's cut says not by human hands. And the implication there is that it's cut by divine hands. And not only that, you think about times in the Old Testament that you see rock imagery. Oftentimes God is called a rock. David oftentimes pray this, oh God, my rock, my refuge, right? That's the idea here is that there's this divine sort of rock that would come in that would crush these statues and establish a new type of kingdom. And that was a message of hope for people who lived under regimes like Daniel and friends in Babylon. So literally, this is quite a bit of implication for Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's basically saying history is going to unfold this way. And there's some practical things, but there's also quite a bit of metaphoric things on what is being represented here and what the deeper meaning of this dream really says about God and also kingdoms of man. So I guess my question is, what is the really big rock in this story, in this dream? The rock, it's basically a metaphor. It's a symbol of the kingdom of God. It represents this different type of kingdom that God would lead with his chosen servant, his appointed servant, would lead a kingdom that looks different, a kingdom that brings down the tyrannical rule of empires of this world and lasts forever. That's one of the promises we get in this vision, that the kingdom that this rock represents is something that's different. What's interesting is there's a lot of debate about what kingdoms the different metals represent. We could talk about that. We'd spend hours And I think that's really important. And we'll talk about that maybe when we get to chapter seven, because there are parallels between chapter two and chapter seven, where you have a four kingdom sequence. And when we get there, we'll have more information that'll help us better understand what's going on with these metals in chapter two and who they represent. But what's clear, again, is that this sequence ends with a rock that establishes a different type of kingdom. And what's interesting is in the New Testament, you see the gospel writers and Jesus pick up on this type of language to talk about what he was doing in the world. There's a famous passage in Luke 20, where Jesus says, what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And here he's alluding to the fact that he, who's the son of God, son in Hebrew being a word that means is bane, it rhymes with the Hebrew word for stone, Evan, kind of wordplay going on there. He understands himself to be the stone that comes from God that is establishing a different type of kingdom that elevates people like Daniel, that raises up people like Daniel. Like a mountain would? If you're on a mountain, I guess so. It would elevate you. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Well, that's the cool thing is this rock becomes a mountain. It grows. And so it elevates those who are humble and lowly, and it brings down those who abuse their power. I think it's really interesting that Daniel's the one to deliver this message. And if you just like think about Daniel and his upbringing and where he comes from, this is probably completely inaccurate, but let's have fun with the interpretation of scripture as we said that we can do, right? Yeah. 
that's allowed. Daniel really seems like he's, you know, one of these rocks coming from God. He's followed the ways of God all the way up until now. And look what happens to the statue. He's the one who ends up worshiping Daniel at the end of this. There's a lot of interesting parallels and ways that Daniel anticipates, you might say, Jesus and what he does in the New Testament. We'll talk about this when we get to Daniel 6 and Daniel 7. The stories overlap and tell very similar stories. It's not that Daniel is really from God. It's not that he's divine or anything like that, but he has a lot of the characteristics that we should have in our lives. And the way he lives anticipates what Jesus does when he comes from God and really does something new in this world. When you say like the gospel, because you said that earlier, it anticipates the gospel. Hmm. I think most people think about Jesus particularly, but what does the gospel actually encompass? Like, what does that entail? Well, I think this is what the gospel is really all about. When you look at what Jesus says about the good news, when you look at what Paul says about the gospel, the good news, that's what the word gospel means. It means good news. It's a gospel about a different type of kingdom. It's good news that the king that this dream and other places in the Old Testament sort of allude to has been set on his throne. He's risen to a seat beside the father. This is something that Daniel 7 kind of alludes to, set on the throne of a authority and has established a different type of kingdom. And that's really the climax. That's what the story of the gospel ultimately gets to. It's good news that there's a different way this world is going to run now because Jesus is in charge. And that's good news. But that's not often how we think about the gospel. Oftentimes we think about the gospel as like this transaction, as this idea that Jesus died for my sins and so I can go to heaven when I die, ignoring the fact that heaven comes here. But it's a promise that there's a different type of kingdom. And so we aren't saved simply so that we can live in the this eternal space with God, we are saved so that we can partner with him in establishing his kingdom on earth and living as those image bearers, those representatives God created us to be from the very beginning. We talked about Genesis 1. We're going to talk about that more. And that's what the good news is all about. It's not just a transaction. The transaction may be part of it, but it's news that this world is going to run differently because this kingdom that this dream talks about has actually come. This word gospel feels like a pretty churchy word, though, especially if I've never been to church or well, doesn't, any of this Well, before. yeah, and that's why you, we can call it good news or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that maybe sounds churchy, too, if you can think of a different way to say good news. I mean, maybe, but pretend like this is the first time I'm reading this. That's a, probably a very confusing term. I think that's why I like how Brendan pointed it back to like, it's more than just Jesus and Jesus coming to die. That's integral to it. But what that did was bring a new type of kingdom. Like you said, it's mm-hmm. the kingdom of heaven, which I think gives us hope that the solution for justice in our world and for redemption in our world is not through the systems and political structures that mm. we know. It's through the kingdom of heaven and this new type of kingdom that we have never seen before, but God is going to bring and it's going to outlast every other kingdom. And I think that's a really helpful way to look at it. Mm-hmm the way you put it, because that makes it less churchy. It's less the gospel and good news and these things, but in terms of structures and systems, like that's a very relevant thing. We can say, you know, whether it matters, whether it's churchy or not, like, yeah, some churchy things can be off-putting for people, but it's off-putting because churchy things, sometimes they have all this baggage associated with them and they don't seem relevant to this world or they seem to neglect things that you'd think would matter in this world and things that truly do matter to the heart of God. You know, if you go through scripture, these issues that, you know, we talk about, these are the things God talks about most. And we oftentimes ignore that because we're so focused on what we think the gospel is. We think the gospel is that God is just trying to save us from our 
our sins so that we can live with him forever. But the forever thing here that he's promising is a different type of kingdom that Jesus leads. And when we actually elevate Jesus to king and make him our king and not people like Nebuchadnezzar, not make ourselves the kings of this world, then this world runs differently. It's a place that's ultimately just, that works for the good for all. And it's a place that, yeah, we're saved. We get to live with him forever, but it's a good place to live. You know, what good is it if Jesus saves us from our sins and we're still living in the same, you know, crime and mess and junk that we've been living in forever, you know? It's something that's different and that's good news. So in this story, it's probably a little bit confusing for Nebuchadnezzar because he's like, wait, so I'm the golden head yeah. and I'm about to get crushed. You would think that he wouldn't fall down, worship Daniel, yeah. be excited about that. Yeah. Except that it probably gave him some relief from this dream that he's been agonizing over for a while. There are a couple of ways to look at this. It's interesting that later on in Daniel 5, you see Daniel reveal the writing on the wall to Belshazzar, this omen that anticipates his downfall and the downfall of Babylon. And even though Belshazzar gets crushed that night, Night, he still rewards Daniel. So it could be a similar response that, okay, Nebuchadnezzar's finally learned what this dream is all about and whether it's good or bad, he still is going to reward the person because he's at least given him some sort of clarity. It could be that. It could also be that Nebuchadnezzar just doesn't totally understand what the dream is about. He's explained the dream that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's the head of gold. Well, you think about all the metals. This is the most valuable metal. So in a way, the dream says, he's still the gold head. Yeah, I'm still the gold head. And he's going to build a statue in the next chapter, a golden statue. It picks up on Man, things dropping spoilers. Exactly. Well, <laughs> stop, so, you? and what that, I think what that tells us, he misunderstands what this dream is about. He's misunderstanding the fact that this statue that he's a part of is ultimately going to crumble, but he probably doesn't understand it. He probably also expects that this will happen at some later time, that it's because there's another kingdom that's going to come up after him. He's not going to be the one that's crushed. Although again, it neglects the fact that there is a kingdom that's going to come up after him. That's going to bring him down. God uses other kingdoms sometimes to bring down bad kingdoms, but I think it's probably just that he doesn't totally know what's going on. Could be. <laughs> I think you can tell that Nebuchadnezzar knows something is going on. He can tell something great is happening. But even mm -hmm. in verse 27, like Daniel makes it really clear before he starts his interpretation. This was in yesterday's reading that no man or diviner or enchanter could interpret the dream, but that God is the revealer of mysteries. And then we just read today that King Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel and pays him honor and says, you were able to reveal this mystery. And he does say that like God yeah. is the God of gods and a revealer of mysteries. I feel like he can tell something's happening, but he doesn't doesn't know where to attribute his thanks and praise and honor because yeah. he doesn't fully comprehend. It's good. Well, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar's in for kind of a rude awakening from this dream. He already had a rude awakening, but he was disturbed when he yep, woke. He's like, he likes being the gold head. <laughs> that's I don't right. think that's going to bode well for him that's when, right. when the rock comes. You know, it is like this equally terrifying and yet hopeful realization that the kingdoms of the world would be crushed by something mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And we asked this question in the discussion questions, and I feel like it's not fair for us to ask this and not answer it. Like, what man-made empires do you suppose God would confront in our world today? That is a pretty loaded question. And just like straight off the bat, I feel like more than ever, we're the feet and toes of this metaphoric statue. I feel like we're a somewhat divided, hmm. some strong, oh, some yeah. brittle clay, steel, iron mixture thing. And that's probably the most confusing and difficult of all because nobody's going to react to the same way to a stone hitting you. 
I feel like flipping this question is equally as hard for me of what man-made empires would God not confront in our world today? Mm. I think inherently an empire made by man is going to have flaws because we can only see in our limited human perspective and we can't see the world the way God does as the creator of the world who can see the good in everything. I think anything we as humans try to replicate is going to fail in some sense. And I think when you have the good of of the people around you and humanity in mind, then you can see like waves being made for social justice and on behalf of the oppressed and things like that. But I think any way you look at it, we're human and we're faulty. And so the things that we make are going to reflect that. I mean, I think you start with empires. I mean, what are the political empire? Because that's what an empire was in the ancient world. It was yeah. a kingdom. It was a political entity. And I think that we should look at the superpowers of our world, including America, and at least ask the question, is there a way in which we are like Babylon? Are there ways that America is structured that sometimes is very Babylon-like? And not just America, but the other empires, other countries in our world today as well. But it's not just countries. It's not just governments. We could look at political parties. We could look at corporations. We could look at schools, we could look at churches, we could look at sort of any sort of organization that's set up and follows models and operates with ethics that are inconsistent with the nature of the kingdom of God. And any organization, again, whether church, school, family, you know, who knows, whatever entity we want to talk about, if it's something that doesn't proclaim allegiance to Jesus, and not just that, but live in allegiance to Jesus. And that's what the book of Daniel is really trying to push people to. It's, I'm going to declare that God is my God, that Jesus is my King. But the way I express that is with my life, with loyalty, with fidelity to Him. And that means faithfulness to the things that matter to God. When we don't live that way, then we are constructing empires that ultimately are going to fall. I liked what Stephen Kelly said the other day too, where, you know, to be an empire, you inherently have to have power and you have power over things. And so anything that does not use its power to raise people up, to help and dignify people, Mm. Those are the empires that are not going to be of God. And I think that this book and really the gospels, that's the four books, not the gospel mm-hmm. of good news. But even though it's the same thing. Yeah. They're all they're all later. telling the gospel story. Yeah. You know, I think that's what we should be gleaning from that is like if we have eyes to see those people when we're given power, mm-hmm. then we are acting in the way that God would to dignify and care for his creation. And that's exactly what God does here in this story. He gives a small glimpse of it. He causes, you might say, we talked about how God caused this official to show favor to Daniel. And we see that again. God uses Nebuchadnezzar to elevate his people who chose to be faithful to him, who chose to trust him, who chose to pray to him, who chose to seek him out in the midst of a life or death situation. And so he gives that glimpse. And that's really the story of what the kingdom of God is all about. It's the promise that Jesus gives when he talks about the gospel of the kingdom of God. So in a way, for us to see this rock come down and smash all the different parts of this thing, we're all kind of supposed to be the rock. Well, we're supposed to live or under pebble. the dome. So I'll, I'll, I'll take pebble. Something that's important in conversations like this is to remember, like, it's easy to critique the empires and structures and organizations around us, but what's harder is to look inward. We've talked before about, are we the Nebuchadnezzars or the Daniels? And I think it's a lot harder to look inward and see where we're either personally benefiting from empires, quote unquote, or organizations, but also just where we've made political structures or organizations or systems, the gods in our lives, rather than the kingdom of heaven. People put a lot of hope in right now, this Mm -hmm. election season, even in either affirming or changing what they believe. And I think that all of those ideals, those are going to be crushed by something that's much bigger. But we're called to start doing that as somebody like Brendan said, who partners with and 
has fidelity and loyalty. Is that the way you eloquently say all those? To, I mean, Alpha's to, eloquent. To God. But... Yeah. Yeah. Those are all things that we should be living out in our lives. And it doesn't look like a giant rock, but it looks like every day throwing a little pebble at some big statues. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at Willow Creek NS on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.